Do you suppose God has a MySpace account? Hmm? I suppose a more logical question is why would he not have a MySpace account? 200 million human beings meet in that little piece of cyberspace. One out of every 33 people alive on the planet today is in MySpace. And if you're mumbling right now to yourself, oh mercy, what is MySpace? Don't you dare say a word out loud, you'll give away your age. (laughs) This has to be the ages of the ages for cyberspace. Let me run some numbers by you. Did you know that in February, Americans, now these are only Americans, made over, no, made not quite 10 billion core searches on Google. If February had been two more days, we'd have gone over 10 billion. Did you know that in January, According to Nielsen's net ratings, the average person in the U.S. alone spent, listen to this, 37 hours, 1 minute and 59 seconds on the Internet. December, in America, we Americans online viewed 10 billion videos. We are the most cyberspaced, high-techy generation in the history of Earth, obviously. And we have become, as... Most of you know, the most socially networked generation. Hitwise.com describes 55 social networks that ban the globe. The top, top four being MySpace. Let me just try something. If you have an account on MySpace, would you raise your hand? Just come on, be, be proud of it. All right. MySpace. All right. Good for you. Facebook. If you have an account on Facebook, some of you have double. Look at you. Facebook. Now, according to uh, hitwise.com, these are the top four. My yearbook. Any of you ever heard of that one? I hadn't heard of that one. How about Bebo? Number four. It's the number one social network in the UK. Here's a quiz for you. Who do you suppose spends more time in social networks, men or women, males or females? Huh? Huh? Okay, oh, hold on, hold on. PRWeekUS.com. All right, here's their website. Here, I'm, I'm quoting now. A recent study by the Pew Internet and American Life Project determined that female teens are the primary creators of web content, far outpacing their male peers in the areas of blogging, website building, and creating social network profiles. You go, girls. <laughs> so here's the question. Does God have a MySpace account? Do you? I already found out. I know what you're asking. How about you, Pastor? Do you have one? The answer is I didn't. Until some young friends of mine in the seminary decided to create an account for me. (laughs) I found out about it. Somebody tipped me off. And then I figured out how you get on MySpace. And I went on to MySpace. Sure enough, there was. I don't know where they got my picture. And... (laughs) And then, you know, you have this friend space where you list your top friends. My two top friends, they said, are Doug Batchelor and Joseph Bates. <laughs> now, I've got to tell you, Doug Batchelor, it's true. Doug Batchelor is a good friend of mine, but Joseph Bates was in the class ahead of me, so I never really got to know him. Does God have a space?
Does God have a place in my space? Open your Bible with me this morning as we plunge into a new series for a new season about a new generation in cyberspace, the most high-tech, cyberspace-savvy generation in history. We're going to call this series God's Party. Five parts to God's Party. Let me tell you about them. Today, MySpace. Next Sabbath, Facebook. Sabbath after that, YouTube, YouTube. Sabbath after that, Green Google. Sabbath after that, I think it's a great one to end the year with, Yahoo. <laughs> All right. Okay. Now, I want to I give you, right here at the beginning, I want us to scribble down the bottom line to this brand new series. All right, so take out your study guide. Let's write it down. The bottom line to this brand new series if you didn't get a study guide, put your hands up right now. We got the friendliest, most efficient ushers in the world. They're in the balcony. They're up front. They're in the middle. Just hold your hand up. We'll make sure you get a study guide. I hope everybody here has one. Good. And to those of you who are watching on television, we're delighted to have you. A brand new series, God's Party. Go to our website, please. You see it on the screen there, www.pmchurch.tv. We're looking for the series entitled... God's party and today's teaching my space when you see today's teaching you click on study guide you'll have the same study guide we do and we'll be we'll be connected through cyberspace together all right so grab that study guide print it off if you can do it real quick by the way let me just tell you this we have set the study guides up now so that you could be sitting here and actually doing it don't you ever do this you could be sitting here doing it on your cell phone you we've set it up now so that you can actually type into your computer you don't have to run it off and then write it in i don't know how we did it but somebody came and asked us if we could do it that was you paul by the way nice oboe playing today that was beautiful yeah paul came to me paul williams great oboist and he said, hey, Dwight, come on, set it up so that we can do it right wherever. Not here. Okay. <laughs> All right, take your new study guide. Let's fill it in. God's party. What's the bottom line of God's party? Now that we know the day, let us explore the way. Now that we know the day, let us explore the way. Because the series we just came out of was entitled The Sabbath. Huh? By the way, Justin, that was a great rendition of The Sabbath this morning. Beautiful piece. Ah. I could sing that every single week. So we've just come out of the Sabbath. And the most logical question for us to be asking as third millennials, now that we've heard about that, is so what? Huh? So what am I supposed to do with the Sabbath? So what? So what's this day for? 24 hours? So what? God's party is the searching for the answer to the so what question that we rightfully ask. So let's get going. Open your Bible now, please, to the second book of the Bible. One ancient line, two dynamic verses. One ancient line, two dynamic verses in the second book. That would be the book of Exodus. Find Exodus chapter 31, please. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've got a pew Bible for you. It'll be the same translation that I have here, the New King James, which will also be on the screen this morning. Exodus chapter 31. Just one line. Just one line. And it's God and Moses having a private conversation together. And God is doing the talking right now. And he's talking about the Sabbath. This is, this is dynamite. All right. Genesis chapter, th I mean, Exodus rather. Exodus 31, verse 17. It, the Sabbath, God speaking. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And hit the pause button right there. Because some of you, as soon as you hear that, you say, I, I told you. I told you, Dwight, that the Sabbath... 
is something between God and Israel. I am not a Jew, so the Sabbath is not applicable to me and my journey. Ah, hold it, hold it, hold it. You, you, You must be very careful with that kind of logic. Watch where this logic will take you if you hang on to that logic. Do you know with whom God made the new covenant? Everybody's clear about new covenant for Christians, new covenants for the whole world. God made the new covenant. Isn't that right? Everybody's under the new covenant. Let me show you something. With whom did God make the new covenant? Let's go to the New Testament and find out. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with whom? With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Wait a minute. Time out, time out. I thought the new covenant was for everybody. It is. Because when God says Israel, he's talking about all his friends throughout all of history all over the earth. And that, by the way, is the truth about the Sabbath. It's for everybody from the very beginning. In fact, scribble this down, will you? The same people God makes the new covenant with, he gives the Sabbath to. Israel represents all his people forever. God makes a new covenant with his people. That's for whom the Sabbath was created as well. All right, so let's go back to that verse now. Exodus thirty-one seventeen. The Sabbath is a sign between me and all my people forever. That's the way we can read that. Now keep reading. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. One ancient line, two dynamic verbs. Write it down. Verb, dynamic verb. Number one, he was refreshed. We'll take them in reverse order. He was refreshed. Keep your band moving because the Hebrew verb here for refreshed is nafash. It means to take a breath. Which is why, by the way, the New Jerusalem Bible, and I put this in the study guide for you, the New Jerusalem Bible renders this, but on the seventh day he rested and drew breath. Some of us enjoy running. And we all know that there are times when enjoy is just a euphemism for endure. Well, everybody knows that. But be that as it may, you know, those of you who are runners, when you come back from running, a good hard run, you come back sweaty, you come back smelly, And you come back generally spent. Isn't that true? Yep. I do my long runs on uh, Sunday mornings. So I go out and do my 10K. And when I come back, I have have this little ritual. I go to the uh, box and I pull out my Sunday paper. And I go and I sit down on the front step. I say I do that when you're in spring. And apparently we're not in spring yet because you can't do that. But you go, I sit down, I open up the newspaper, I catch my breath, and I I just chill out. That's what nafash means. It means it means to slow down. It means to sit down. It means to catch your breath. It means to be refreshed. In fact, it has a Hebrew twin. Watch this. This is fascinating. Nafash has a Hebrew twin, and you see it in your study guide there, nefesh. They sound almost alike. And what does nefesh mean? A breathing being. The very first time this word gets used in all the Bible is back in the creation story, and I just love this moment. So keep your finger right here because we're coming... Quickly back to Exodus 31, but let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Creation takes place in Genesis 1, but Genesis 2 comes along and says, let me give you a little bit of the details behind that creation, particularly the creation of the human race, the two first parents of us all. So this is Genesis chapter 2, page 1 of your pew Bible. Drop down to verse 7. And the Lord God... Now, remember from our previous series, who is the Lord God? That's Christ. That's the pre-incarnate Christ. That's Jesus, the one who would become Jesus. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, that's a very action. That verb, form, 
Hey, wait a minute, guys. Do you know what God could have done? I mean, he could have just said, let there be Adam. Whoa, not bad. Couldn't he have done that? He did that with everything else. Just spoke the word. Let there be Whoa. But he didn't. The only part of the creation, the only moment of creation when God becomes personally interactive is the creation of the human race. And he takes some dust. If you ever go here to Andrews University, you go over to the art department. Man, we got some great artists on this campus. And you know what? They take a little bit of that dust, you put water in it, and it becomes clay. And you watch those masters work just with their hands. They begin to work that clay. That's what God did. He began to work. He said, see, ooh, four fingers? No, let's add a fifth. And if he'd stopped with four, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? How about five? Five. Oh, I like those arms. Yeah, good, good, good. Let's see, two ears, one mouth, which means we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. That's the whole point. Two ears, one mouth. And then, how does, the verb, how does the verse put it? And the Lord God formed man, Adam, by the way, in the Hebrew, Adam, we call him Adam. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and he leaned over and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Picture the incarnate, the pre-incarnate Christ just leaning over and putting his, putting his mouth, his divine mouth, over the nose of Adam. And he goes... And that old rib cage goes. And Adam's eyes open. And ladies and gentlemen, when his eyes open, who is the first face he is gazing into? Straight into the face of his creator. I want to tell you something about parents. Because I've been a parent twice over. When your baby is sleeping and you love that baby so much, you wish the baby were awake. That's the thing about babies. When they're awake, you wish they were asleep. And when they're asleep, you wish they were awake. And you know, I don't know how many times I've gone in the room and I just want to just, just, I just want to look into that baby's face and maybe get a little recognition. So I'll purposely make Karen, I'm in trouble with Karen if I make a lot of noise, but I just make a little noise and kind of shake the cradle. And, and <laughs> there go those eyes. Those eyes open and I'm looking down. I tell you what, when you're a daddy, that is one gaze you never forget. So the Creator says, yeah. And, verse not over. So he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a what? Man became a living being. Ladies and gentlemen, jot this down in your study guide, please. Because that's the word, the first time it's used in all of Scripture, the word nefesh. It means, you can jot it down, the Creator breathed the breath of life into all of us and we became alive. Oh, I like that. We became, do you see that there? We became alive. King James says we became a living soul. Alive. Ah. Keep your pen moving. So what are you, what are you saying, Dwight, about nafash and nefesh? Well, these two twins, the word nafash, which is the twin to nefesh, carries with it the nuanced meaning, jot this down, of coming back to life. All right, nefesh is when you come to life. But nafash means coming, breathing again, refreshed, re-souled, as it were. You're coming back again, see? To be refreshed, in fact, would you jot this down, please? To be refreshed is to be recharged. Recharged. Have you ever noticed that nearly everything we own, is this true or what? Nearly everything we own is hooked up to a battery charger. Have you ever thought about that? 
So I'm hurrying through our house and I'm saying, okay, let me find out how many battery, battery chargers do I have in this house. And I'm pro- I probably forgot something. So if you can tell me, you just tell me what, which it was I forgot. Everything's on a battery. huh? So I'm going to reach into this little Andrews University bag. And, uh, okay, this is for my uh, digital camera. All right? You've got to charge the batteries for your digital camera. Everybody that. This one is for, ooh, this is a heavy one. This one, oh, this is for my Palm Pilot, right? You gotta, you gotta recharge that. Oh, the cell phone. What would we do without the cell phone charger? Huh? Cell phone. We all know about that one. Laptop. We got a flashlight. You ever seen these flashlights? You just plug them in the wall. They charge up during the day. Pull them out. Use them at night. Great invention. Who thought of that? I don't know. iPod. Got to charge up my iPod. Yeah, you, you didn't think I even knew about them, did you? That's why you're laughing. You know what this one is? You can't even brush your teeth anymore without charging up. What is this? Everything we own. And by the way, I don't have in this bag, I do not have an auto, auto battery charger. But if the price of gas keeps going up, we're all going to be plugging in our cars every single night. Charging the batteries back up, huh? What's up with these chargers? Ah, here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, we do scribble this down. Little Q&A here. What is the purpose of a charger? What's the purpose of a recharger? Answer, to restore the power and energy of that which has become run down. To restore the power and the energy of that which has become run down. That's true of batteries. And guess what? That is also true of life. Could it be that we were given the seventh day Sabbath to recharge what's become run down in our lives? Exodus 31 verse 17. Go back. There, please, where your finger was. Ah, the Sabbath, God says, is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was recharged. He was refreshed. Dynamic verb number one. There it is. Refreshed, recharged. And I know what you're saying. You're saying, but but you know something, Pastor? This This is talking about God. This is talking about us. And you're right. But what we don't know is that, in fact, just a bit earlier in Exodus, God used that same thought to talk about us. Go just 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 turn back a few pages to Exodus chapter 23 and take a look at verse 12. Exodus 23. Verse 12. This is great. Six days. God's speaking here. Six days. You shall do your work. And on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest. I want to tell you something. Hit a pause button right there. The brute beasts of the barnyard are of concern to God. He's not just concerned about you and me. Do you think we're the only thing special on this planet to Him? Are you kidding? He made the whole system. The whole creation is His. He cares about everything. So He said, I want to make sure the animals... I want the Sabbath to have a residual effect on all the dumb creatures that you have in your purview. Yeah. 
So I said, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the son of your female servant and the stranger may be, there it is, nafash, let them be refreshed, let them be recharged. Jot this down, guys. Clearly God intends the celebration of the seventh-day Sabbath to refresh and recharge all in the family and community who honor Him on His day. It's for everybody. Everybody get recharged. That's how holistic God is as he thinks about the Sabbath. Now, here's something. Here's a writer. James Richard Wibberding has written a delightful book titled the book Sabbath Reflections, a weekly devotional. And in the book, in fact, I put it there in your study guide. In the book, he makes this very perceptive observation. Take a look at this. Energy. See if you agree with this. Energy is more precious than time. Because he says, if I, I, I can't use my time without energy. You know the point he's making? In that little ellipsis there, here's what he's saying. 24 hours a day. He says, do you understand that you spend eight hours of that time sleeping? I know you guys don't, but the, you know, the ideal eight hours a day. We'll talk about sleep next week, by the way, in Facebook. He says, you know, you spend, why do we spend eight hours in sleep? That's so that our bodies can re-energize, get the, get the old battery charged up again. And then he says, you're going to spend two hours eating. Well, give or take. But what's the purpose of eating? Re- re-energize. Energy again. And then he says you're going to spend four more hours in rest. And I thought to myself, four more hours in rest? I don't, are you kidding? I don't have a four-hour nap. Ah, every time the heart stops, a little rest equals up to four hours. He says that's 14 hours of re-energizing, 10 hours for work. That's how important energy is to you and me. Hey, we couldn't enjoy time if we didn't have energy, could we? There'd be no point in having time. Got no way to enjoy it. That's, his, that's, that's what he's writing here. Perceptive Keep, keep going in the quotation. Perceptive people transform our energy needs into dollars. Selling everything from energy bars to energy drinks to sugar highs. And what party thrives without refreshments? And I never thought about that before, but isn't that, that's the word we use. I, that's why I love going to parties. I mean, I enjoy meeting people, but I love the refreshments even more. Why? Because, oh, that's what's fun about a party. You got anything to eat? Come on, be honest. Don't you enjoy refreshments? Yeah. We call them refresh. It's kind of re-energized. We love it. And now here, here's where I thought he was uh, perceptive. We humans have to recharge or refuel often. This energy deficit can be traced to human banishment from the tree of life. But all is not lost. There is something of refreshment. Write it down. There is something of refreshment still within reach. Wibberding is writing about God's seventh-day Sabbath. He said, we got refreshment coming. Don't give up on the week. Don't you quit yet. Refreshment is within reach. Uh, You know what, uh, ladies and gentlemen, what would happen if we shifted the paradigm from obligatory observances to recharging refreshment? Just shift the paradigm. You know, the problem with us, oh, it's the Sabbath. I got to do this have to do I yes to be faithful to God you have to do it if the Sabbath is just this awful drudgery that I'm required to do well no wonder it's a bore what if we shifted the paradigm and we thought of it as recharging refreshment you know what it would become the most joyful day of the week wouldn't it it's all a fear ah Exodus go back to 31 verse 17 ah the Sabbath God says is a sign between me and my friends forever 
For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. There it is, dynamic verb number two. There are only two of them. Write it down. Number two, rested. Number two is rested. Now, interesting on the Hebrew word here. Very interesting. The Hebrew word here for rest is Shabbat. From whence comes our word Sabbath or Sabbath. But notice the literal meaning of the word rest. It actually means to cease or desist. So that when God rested on the Sabbath, he just ceased what he'd been doing the previous six days. That explains why I can say God rested. I mean, do you think the Creator came to that seventh day and said, Man, guys, this, is, this was hard work. Can, can somebody give us a day off or something right now? Can you imagine out of breath that I've got to recharge my batteries? Didn't need it at all. Do you know what? God gave less than a dozen commands. <laughs> Creation week. That's not going to wear you out. And two human sculptures. That would take a little bit of time, but it's not going to wear you out. But the word rested means to cease and desist. He quit doing what he had been doing those six days on the seventh day. In fact, jot that down, will you? When God rested on the Sabbath, he simply ceased doing what he'd been doing all week long. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, he invites us to do the same in the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. When he's talking about the seventh-day Sabbath, he says, listen, guys, don't work. Take a break. Give it a rest. Slow down. Slow down. Cease and desist. That's what I did when I made you. That's what I want you to do when you come to me. Just slow down. I'm not against work, God says. I made you to work. You're a strong worker. You're a hard worker, and I'm proud of you for it. But there comes a time when you've got to cut, you've got to stop. Just take a break. We'll call it my Sabbath. You and me. Cease and desist. Yeah, but what, what's the deal about ceasing, huh? I mean, why do we have to cease? Everybody knows that one of the great principles of friendships is that you must remove the distractions so that you can focus on the relationship. Let's put that on the screen. You must remove the distractions so that you can focus on the relationship. Now that it's springtime here at Andrews, I know that when I walk in the evening, when I walk in front of Lampson Hall, the women's residence, I got to walk looking straight ahead. I will not look to my right to the park benches. I will not look to my left to the park cars. I'll just look straight ahead. You know why? Because young adults have figured that out. You guys are brilliant. You have figured it out. One of the great secrets to relationships is you've got to cut out the distractions so you can focus only on that relationship. And some of you guys are so focused, I wouldn't want to even interrupt. <laughs> if I just look straight ahead. Pretend like I didn't see a thing. Because every friendship needs that, doesn't it? You've got to cut out the distractions so that you can focus on the relationship. Hey, listen. Have you ever been with somebody... You don't have to be a young adult for this one. Have you, ever, have you ever been with somebody and you've been going for five minutes, you've been talking, and you suddenly realize, that person, the body is here. I swear, the body is right here. That person is a thousand miles away. I mean, how does it feel when that happens? How do you feel? Don't you feel kind of like a fool? I mean, talking and talking and talking and talking. And... You might as well been talking to the wall. You see, you can be physically present. You can be physically present in a relationship. And you can be emotionally and you can be mentally a thousand miles away. And oh boy, is that true about God's gift 
of that seventh day. Physically present and accounted for? Yes, sir. Check. Mind a million miles away. That's why God uses the word Shabbat. Which not only means to rest, it means to cease. Because he wants us to cease. What is necessary, come on, you've got to do this. This is important. You've got to be distracted with these priorities over these past six days. But what I'm asking you to do is cease. Just stop. Stop all that good stuff. And now let's just focus you and me. Let's just focus you and me together. How does he put it here in Exodus 31? Write it down. The Sabbath is a sign between me and you forever. The sign of our forever Friendship. I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. The Sabbath is exclusively, exclusively about a relationship. People think it's about a little calendar and some time. No, it's about a relationship with the Almighty Creator of the universe. And as everybody knows, if you want to grow a friendship, you unplug the distractions so that you can focus on that relationship. So, hey guys, you remember this little bag down here? Hmm? All these little... Rechargers. I'm going to put something practical on the table and I'm going to see how hard you debate me on this one. I'm prepared for you to argue. All right. Here's what I'm going to suggest. What would happen if on the Sabbath, on the seventh day Sabbath, we unplug them all? Hmm? So what are you talking about? I'm talking about unplugging the high speed Internet. Unplugging the cell phone. Are you kidding me? I'm talking about unplugging the television. Unplugging the radio, except for WAUS. <laughs> I'm talking about unplugging the emails. Unplugging your MySpace Facebook account. I'm talking about unplugging the newspaper and the 24 hour news channels. Just unplugged. I know what you're thinking. What kind of a weirdo fanatic have you become, Pastor? Fair enough. Let me tell you. Let me just clarify what I mean. Because I'm not talking about unplugging from technology. I'm talking about unplugging from what the technology connects us to. See? The problem is not with me. The problem... Hey, hey. The problem... Is with all of us. We have all become the most connected but addicted generation in history. Addicted to our 24-7 demand for technology and information. And it's called glut. We never unplug. I don't unplug at night. I don't unplug in the day. These things are always plugged in. I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe stock futures, there'll be a plunge in stock futures. Maybe I'll have an unexpected email bulletin. Maybe a new friend will show up on my MySpace account and I've got to make sure I'm there. So much so that even when we go to church, we've got our Blackberries and our cell phones and they're vibrating and even beeping. And we'll pull it out and be obedient as little servants and say, who might be calling me now? God has no my space on the Sabbath. It's all our space. Because all my gadgets are plugged in. Bring it on. I'll be there in an instant for you. Have you noticed that sometimes you can be physically present in a relationship and be emotionally and mentally 
a million miles away? Jot this down, will you? In the Bible, God calls the Sabbath my day. And by the way, if he were doing the Bible now, he'd put the my day together, wouldn't he? Yep. But today, I believe God would surely call the Sabbath my space. Mm, keep your pen moving. Six days, God says, hey, listen, six days I give to you to do your work and you grow your networks and you utilize your technologies and please expand your connectivities. But the seventh day is the MySpace Sabbath day of the Lord your God. Keep your pen moving. And in the MySpace of my Sabbaths, you shall unplug your gadgets that you might plug into your God. Unplug. Guys, this is what's so embarrassing. This is totally counterintuitive to our high-techy mindset. This is, this is the exact opposite. Because, because what God is saying is, you've got to unplug in order to plug in. And that's crazy. No, no. You've got to plug in, God. You've got this. Hold it, hold it. You've got to plug in. No, God says, no, 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 no. You've got to unplug in order to plug in. Be still. Psalm 46. Write this down. Be still and know. Shh. Be still and know that I'm God. I've been your friend from the get-go, boy, girl. When you were born and your parents did this, I was there. I have marked you from the beginning. I'm only asking for the last day of the week. Could you unplug from the other six days and come to me on this last one? I know you've got to study. I know you've got those crazy schedules. I'll let you live with it. But I'm asking you, on the last day... The seventh day, would you mind unplugging the week so that it's just you and me? I know it's counterintuitive to our high-techy way of life, but that's what God's saying. By the way, He's doing it through the Hebrew. The intentional placement of the Hebrew. The unplugged, cease and desist, the unplugged verb comes first. And after you've unplugged, then you're refreshed, then you plug in for recharging. The order is correct. It seems backwards through our third millennial minds, but it's right. Unplug so that you can plug in my space. You and me. 24 hours. I've given you my life. I'm asking for 24 hours. Isn't that great, guys? Isn't that great? Desire of Ages, by the way, comes along. And it's commenting, commenting on uh, this Psalm 46 statement of God. And I love this line from Desire of Ages. When every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul. Read with the gadgets turned off. The silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Now I'm going to make a statement here. I believe that if we will give God the priority His relationship is inviting us to, every other relationship in our lives will begin to quietly fit together. 
I believe that when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, He means, plug into me first. And I'll take take care of every other relationship you have. So at the end of every week, I'm going to ask two things. Unplug. And then plug in. And I promise you, I will recharge every battery you have. I want to end with something from the Wall Street Journal. It came out a couple of weeks ago. It's written by uh, Stephen Moore, who is the economics uh, op-ed page senior editor. Obviously, he teaches economy classes in colleges because he opens up with a story. And I'm going to read that one to you right here. Stephen Moore. A few weeks ago, I gave a talk on the state of the economy to a group of college students, almost all Barack Obama enthusiasts, who were griping about how downright awful things are in America today. As they sipped their Starbucks lattes and adjusted their designer sunglasses, they recited their grievances. The country is awash in debt that we will have to pay off. The middle class is shrinking. The polar ice caps are melting. And college is expensive. I've been speaking to groups like this one for more than 20 years, but I have never confronted such universal pessimism from a young audience. I mean, its members acted as if the hardships of modern life are making it nearly impossible for them to get out of bed in the morning. So I conducted a survey of these grim youngsters. How many of you, I asked, own a laptop? A cell phone? An iPod, a DVD player, a flat screen digital TV. To every question, somewhere between two-thirds and all of the hands in the room arose. They didn't even get my point. Well, duh, one of them scoffed. Who doesn't have an iPod these days? I was way too embarrassed to tell them that I, for one, don't. They thought, last line, they thought that living without these products would be like going back to prehistoric times. Hmm? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, maybe that's the solution. Going back to prehistoric times in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, He was rested and refreshed. Do you suppose that's it? And if you and I could unplug from our gadgets... And plug in to our God. His MySpace Sabbath. Do you suppose this is it? His MySpace Sabbath could turn out to be the gladdest day of all. Hmm? Oh, God. We have made this so complicated. We need to shift the paradigm. That's it. Just shift the paradigm. Get off of this obligatory observance stuff. Get into this recharging, refreshment joy. And so, Father, I'm praying for everybody. I'm praying for all of us. You know what we need. You know what our hearts long for most. In your forever friendship that gets plugged into and recharged every seventh day, may what we truly 
long for most become best to us. Wrapped up in our friendship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.